Hey everybody, welcome back to The Grit Show. I can't believe it. this is already episode number three where we discuss all things grit. And today, I have the honor and privilege of interviewing our co-host, Tyrell Gray. You guys all know me, James Lawrence, the Iron Cowboy, and my story has been pretty well documented. Obviously, there's a, still a lot of information that we hold back and don't share, and hopefully everyone gets to know me a little bit greater and in more depth. But today... We really want to get people familiar with Tyrell, and I've known Tyrell for oh, close to 20 years now, and this is what's amazing. I uh, I think or thought I had heard every story that Tyrell had in his memory <laughs> bank, but the reality is, is every time we get together, which is quite often, we're actually going to spend a couple of days in doing a mindset retreat up in, uh, up in the mountains this weekend, and, and he continues to shock, wow, inspire me, <laughs> and he just has an unlimited amount of experiences and stories, oh, and thanks, and I haven't, <laughs> I've never heard one twice um, been told to me, I've heard him tell a couple of different people some similar stories, and they're true because his facts are the same in every one. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to catch this guy in a lie one time. And I still, I've never, I've never been able to do it, but I just, I love learning from Tyrell. There's a reason he's the co-host to this podcast. Um, I've learned a lot over him. Um, so we're just gonna we're just gonna get to know Tyrell a little bit better, um, and we're just gonna start Tyrell. Where wh- wh- where are you from, man? Well, well, first, man, honored to be here. Yeah, love absolutely. being with you. Uh, yeah. Like James said, we've been friends for over twenty years now. Yeah, I don't great. think I have any friends I've kept as long as you. I don't think you have any friends except for me. <laughs> I think it's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not it's hard just... to hold the, the, the duration <laughs> record when I'm your only friend. <laughs> uh, so let's see. Uh, grew up in Utah, born and raised. My story's not as exotic as yours. Like, I love your story. The the Ferris wheel ride, the travel from Canada. That's pretty. I'm born and raised. Utah, Utah cowboy. Grew up in a little town, southern Utah called Huntington, Utah. And, Here's what's funny. Sense. Here's what's funny. Ty- Tyrell's uh, Instagram handle is is the Camel Cowboy, and he actually is a cowboy. I'm the Iron Cowboy, but I I got given this name by the public. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm allergic to horses and hay, um, and I I couldn't I couldn't tell you the first thing about how to how to run a, a, um, a farm, and it's amazing. I go to Tyrell's place. He's got a beautiful property here in, in Utah. Has all types of animals. In fact, we were up there the other day, and the kids got to ride the donkeys. Um, but it, 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 it's it's been amazing um, to 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 be a part of your journey for the past twenty years. Okay, so you grew up in Utah. Um, you're you're fairly educated too. Oh, I don't know if I'm educated or just spent a lot of money on college. <laughs> Can't decide. Can't decide. That's a whole that's a whole other topic. But you have multiple degrees. Yeah. What so are your I degrees? Went to, in? Uh, I went to school um, Utah State here in. in in Utah, um, agricultural school, went with a couple of my buddies, and I, I don't know, I was just motivated to get through school. I was always planning on being an attorney, and so I went there, I just wanted to get it done, and so I was there for three years, I got three degrees in three years, so I've got a bachelor's degree in finance, economics, and then business management, and so not this, not your typical college career. Like, I was focused on getting to college, uh, getting my degrees, and, and honestly, starting businesses. Is, is it true... Um, that you you have somewhat of a photographic memory. Oh, I don't know if it's photographic, but it's it was really good. Like until you, I was about like forty. You, like you, <laughs> yeah, I think we've all hit that threshold. It's and, gone and, uh, but but you you can read something and and recall it pretty pretty good. Yeah, I, you know I've been super blessed. When I was a kid, I honestly think um, I used to memorize poems all the time mm-hmm. as a kid. I thought they were fun and and like cowboy poetry and funny stuff. And so I'd memorize funny poems and jokes and and because I did that so much as a kid. Like, I'll read something, and it will just stick with me. And so typically, 
you know, anything that I want to do. I, and I've been blessed that way. School was easy for me. Um, and I think it's just because of that. Like my brain works really well in that test taking scenario. So not definitely not an eidetic memory, but it's, it's been pretty blessed. So you, you, you kind of really didn't go on to, to use your higher education no, and, and those degrees. <laughs> uh, Tyrell is, in my opinion, a true entrepreneur. Um, and it's crazy. I don't know how he does what he does. Every time I talk to him or see him, he's, he's got a different business venture and he's, he's managing all of them and doing them. And he's had a lot of success in, in, in many different areas in life. What are like some, just some examples of some of the companies that you've, you've started, uh, grown and, and sold? God, you know, we've been super blessed, man. We, uh, I just realized I was, I'm not, everybody says it's timing and it really was like, I just happened to be in the right spot at the right time. There's lots more to that. Like you, you can't have the success you've had in life and just blame it on. I've been in the right place at the right uh, time. You've, we'll, we'll say, okay, for some of them, right place, right time, but you, you can be in the right place at the right time and not take advantage of that opportunity. A lot of good things happen to a lot of people and they just don't do yeah, anything with point. it. And there's one. So, okay, I'll give you, I was in the right place at the right time, but you took action. Uh, you had, I call it relentless pursuit. Yeah, you, yeah. you had relentless pursuit in what you've done. And you, you know, right place, right time means you, it happened once and you got lucky and got a good exit strategy. The fact that you do it over and over and over and over and over again yeah. tells me that you're doing some things right you're implementing the correct strategies. You've put the right team around you in order to be successful. So what are some of the companies that, that you've kind of have experience in, have had an opportunity to grow and, so and kind of just, kind of, I guess I guess a lot of it comes down to, honestly, the way I was raised. So my dad was a coal miner. Okay. Worked in the coal mines his entire life. Worked the graveyard shift. So he'd go to work at 11 o'clock at night and come home at 6 the next morning. Real work. Uh, real work. Like, this real is real blue-collar, like, heavy lifting hard work, you know, under, underground. And at the same time, I had almost kind of rich dad, poor dad. I had an uncle that had his own business. So he had this mentality that anything that, like I said, anything that one man could do, he could do. It's just a matter of if you had the motivation. And like you say all the time, do you have the why? Do you have the bag of whys to go out there and accomplish that? And so I, I just looked around. And I said, you know what? When I was... I had that first job right after college and I realized I don't like this. And so I, I literally started and I said, look, I can do this. Whatever these guys are doing, I can do it on my own. Mm -hmm. And so we started that mortgage company. We sold that off, started a home building company because I'm looking at the back end and I'm seeing as they're closing the loans. When I had my own mortgage company, I could see what the builders were making. And so I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, they're making a lot more money. I'm, a, I'm closing a loan and I'm making, you know, one or two points. And those guys are making 40, 50, 60 grand. And so we started our own home building company at that point. And then I'd, I'd been in real estate at that point for probably five years and kind of fell into a seminar company that hired me to come out and start speaking for them. And so I would literally go out every Thursday. I would fly out. I would speak Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, um, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, excuse me, and come home on Monday. And we would teach these classes. And I would meet all of these people that wanted to learn. They, they had this just hunger and this passion, and I loved it. I loved speaking. I loved being on stage, and I loved teaching them. And, I, and that kind of rolled into our next company that became a really massive company. We realized people didn't want just education. They wanted an opportunity. Hmm. And so we started sourcing and finding opportunities in real estate. Um, the one year, our biggest year, we, we sold over 3,800 properties, came oh, through our organization, yeah. and allowed people to start their own real estate careers. 
So, you know, we, there's all types of different people that make this world go round. And, you know, my, my dad grew up a blue collar firefighter worker. Um, and we, the world needs people like that. hundred percent. For sure. And, um, you know, the, the pandemic hit and the world kind of shut down and everybody got kind of pushed home and had to, had to figure out how they were going to navigate this new world. And entrepreneurship was really brought to the forefront. Um, and everyone was just trying to figure it out and what can I do? And, you know, some, sometimes being an entrepreneur isn't as glamorous oh, as sure. social media makes it look out to be. So here's, here's maybe a, a harder question to answer. Um, should everybody be an entrepreneur and is everybody cut out to be an entrepreneur or, or is it just a certain skill set? And, you know, maybe, maybe t- answer that and then talk about some of the sacrifices or some of the p- pieces of the puzzle that people aren't talking about, about entrepreneurship that make it maybe harder than a, a normal traditional route. You know, that's, that's a great question. And I guess, the, I guess the easiest way to explain it is years and years ago, I was on a seminar stage. We were actually in Hong Kong. And there was another guy presenting. He had he'd made hundreds of millions in his year in his careers. Your job as a presenter, honestly, is usually just kind of motivate people and get them to take action, get them to buy something, get them to change their lives, get them inspire them. And he said something from the stage that kind of shocked me. He just said, "Look, you can't do what I've done." Hmm, interesting. And and I've realized afterwards and talking to him, he was one hundred percent right. His lessons, his education, his network had positioned him and got him to a point that he was able to accomplish things. I mean, the guy made over $100 million by the time he was 30. Wow. And so it had put him in a position that most people will never reach. Now, I'm the eternal optimist, and I, I want everybody to succeed. But the honest truth is there's some people that just do not have the appetite to be an entrepreneur. My dad, who I absolutely love to death and would be one of my heroes my entire life, he wants the security. He wants to know that he's got this a paycheck. Is, this is my dad, too. He wants to know that he can go to work at 8 o'clock, yeah. he can come home at 5 o'clock, and he doesn't have to think about it again. He wants that security. Entrepreneurship, like you said, there's some big risks to it. Well, like, you like you really, you eat last. Like, literally yeah. eat last. Yeah. Like, once everybody's paid, once all of my staff are paid, once all the admin's been paid, and then at the end of the year, if there's anything left over, then I get a piece of the pie. And so you've got to be able to go into that knowing, look, I'm going to work harder than any belts in this company. I'm not going to sleep as much. I'm going to handle every problem that comes up. i got to be the firefighter. And, oh, by the way, if we work hard enough and if everything's good and if we're lucky, then we get some money. Yeah, I, th- I think on social media today we just see and hear about all of these amazing success stories. Entrepreneurship is hard. And, and I had that same father. You you know, you, you get the job. You work 40 years. You retire. You take the pension. Yep. It's safe. I'm risk adverse. And, you know, I saw my mother growing up, and she, she was a dreamer and yeah. an entrepreneur and, and tried to do these different things. And ultimately, watching my grandmother, my grandmother is a fantastic story, and she um, grew up in the network marketing space with a company and started with one in the 70s. And I'm talking old school, lipsticks, yeah. high heels, knocking the doors, <laughs> grinding, working, showing up, because she understood entrepreneurship and sacrifice. And into her 90s... You know, this is the success Amazing. story that you hear. Into her 90s, she was still getting a, a $10,000-plus check based on the efforts she did through the 70s, 80s, and, and 90s of, of hard work. But that, to me, I saw, okay, wow, you know, my grandmother figured out how to be a dreamer and be a hard worker. My dad figured out how to be a hard worker and not take risks. And my mom was also a dreamer, um, but she chose to raise the four kids in the home. And it, it was an incredible blessing for us. And I said, okay, if I can take 
my grandmother and my dad and my mom and put all together. I thought about it the other day. I, I can't, I don't, I've never really had a corporate job. Yeah. I, I've been an entrepreneur. That's, that's just who I am at my core. Um, but yeah, I love, I love that you said it, it isn't for everybody. Um, and it, it does have those, you know, I love that you said you, gotta, you, get, you, you pay yourself last. Oh yeah. Last. You're, the, you're the last, you're the last person to, to eat. Um, so you've had a lot of success, a lot of entrepreneur. Um, you're also a family man. Yeah. Um, married once upon a time and have had an amazing, uh, blessing in your life to have three kids. Yeah. They're absolutely phenomenal. They're, uh, as I've got older, I've just realized like they literally are my happy spot. Yeah. Like, I just love, love being with my kids. I love spending time with them. We do so much together. Um, we, we travel we a boys, ton. Girls. So my oldest is a girl, um, Brinkley. She's, she's my little sweetheart, takes care of me. She keeps me in line, makes sure that I've got, uh, the house, the, all the house goods. She's always worried about me. Did we get milk? Did we get, <laughs> she keeps me on track. We all need one of those. And then I've got, uh, my two little boys who are just absolutely phenomenal. My middle boy, McLeod. And, and I, and you guys don't know who know them. James knows them really well, but they all just idolize James. Um, but McLeod, he's come out and did a couple races with us. Yeah. Um, it, Phenomenal young man. He's he's one of these guys that's going to be a governor somewhere. Like he's <laughs> yeah, just, he is, man. He's just such he's, a good kid. He's ridiculous. And then my youngest uh, is Castle, and he's he's my only chance at having a Navy SEAL. <laughs> oh, yeah? Dude, I think, I think McLeod could be a Navy SEAL. He could do it for sure. He's just such a sweetheart. I don't know that he would ever. That's true. He's just I, such a lover. I, I remember watching McLeod. I, he, he, Tyrell and I both grew up wrestling and have a love for it. And my son Quinn has zero interest, but somehow Tyrell convinced McLeod to do it. And I remember going to the watch, you know, support McLeod in, in one of his one of his matches. And this kid, this kid was a better wrestler than yep, McLeod. He was. And um, got, got his arm around McLeod's neck and clearly choking him. And I, I just, it just felt so bad. And, and Ty, you know, McLeod looks over at Tyrell with these like puppy dog <laughs> eyes, so and he's awesome. welling up. And Tyrell's like, just like, just keep fighting. You're not out of this yet. And I was so impressed watching him. And he just like through the tears and I remember being a wrestler and being like outclassed and crying on the mat it was just super embarrassing but this kid was just like super tough and he pushed through and I can't remember if he won or lost the fight I think he lost he the fight losing, I think yeah. he, I lost, think he lost the match but I was just super impressed because he got off the got off the mat and kind of shook it off and we kind of gave him a little pep talk and, and it was just, it's just fun to see our kids um, do hard things and not quit based on it's, you know, you know it's examples. amazing it's um, I think we've talked about this before too like my kids it's not that I want them to have more than me I just want them to be more than me yeah, and I so it's that. been fun to be able to spend time with them and and do hard things with them, and and see them grow and see them progress, and they're they really are a huge blessing. I, I think that's one of the greatest gifts we can give our kids is to help them suffer. I, yeah, not I agree. not take away the suffering, 100%. but help them navigate the struggle and the suffering. And, and from an outside looking in and being a parent of five myself, I think that's the biggest disservice. Uh, parents today are doing to their kids is they immediately run to the rescue and they give them everything and perfect example my kid uh, my youngest or my only son Quinn he's like hey I rode a motorcycle a, a dirt bike it was a lot of fun can you buy me one and I went no, no. I can't <laughs> no I can't can. I'm, I'm not, not going to <laughs> yeah. and so he did all the research got super passionate about it he looked it up and it's going to be four thousand dollars for a brand new one and I was like, okay, if we if we buy the new one, what I'll do is I'll meet you halfway, son. You show me that you're willing to sacrifice 100%. and work and get this, and then I will bridge that gap for you. Well, holy, I don't know where he learned his driving initiative, probably his mother, but dude, dude 
got it immediately. And he was like, hey, Dad, can I buy a power washer so I can wash cars? Hey, Dad, I need a mower. I'm going to mow these lawns and create these flyers and pass it around. Dude, in, in less than two weeks, this little stud has earned over 900 bucks yeah, of huge. hustling an entrepreneur. And I was like, ah, this is amazing. Could you imagine me saying, yes, son? I have the means. I want you to be happy. Here's a motor. Here's the here's the dirt bike. I would have been doing an insane disservice to him. And what is he learning right now? He's learning sacrifice, hard work, patience. Well, uh, well what we're here for. He's learning grit. He's learning grit. He's and learning so, some grit. And so it's just been a lot of, lot of fun for me to, to do that. Kids, you know, I've said this before. Kids um, are here for us to learn as adults. Right. Um, they are who they are, and oh, we're, we're, sure. we're here just to help teach them, guide them, mold them, give them grounding principles, a solid anchor, an opportunity, and then watch them. Yeah, and like you just said, we unfortunately in society, I don't know why we've got so far, the pendulum swung so far that way that we're, everybody gets a rhythm, you know, gets a ribbon now, and everybody's the winner, there's no losers anymore, and everything's got to be completely fair and we're doing a disservice to our kids because that's not how the life that's not how life works that's not how the world works so when now they get into the real world and things are hard and they actually have to to fight for it they don't know how and so it's those things like like quinn teaching quinn like hey go out and go out and fight for it go struggle go put in the effort and he's gonna value that motorbike even more because it took took effort he wasn't just given to it yeah exactly and I've, I've watched i've watched the way you parent your kids and and allow them to struggle and you know i our kids are kind of getting older and we're you know the last phase of getting them ready for the real world and to tell you the truth i have i have a lot of confidence in in our kids because i'm looking around at what the disservice parents are doing to their kids and and what's going out there and i'm like Dude, you don't have a lot of competition yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, you don't have a lot of competition. I'm like, Competition's I look at, pretty I, slim. I look at my, my two oldest daughters who are almost 20 and 19, and as a dad, it's like, ah, oh, i got to let you go into this crazy yeah. world. And then I look around and see stories and uh, friends who have franchise restaurant businesses and the, the struggle that they're having with finding good employees and yeah. stuff. And I'm like, dude, my kids could walk in anywhere, anywhere. any place, and be hired instantly because they've intentionally showed up in their lives and done hard things by by us as parents allowing them to do that. And we're not perfect parents. We make a lot of mistakes. But I'm just saying that's something I'm super grateful that um, we've realized on our journey that I've seen you implement at a super high oh, level. I appreciate that. Yeah, my, that's, I mean, that's, at the end of the day, that's our calling, right? Whatever me and you do with our life, the greatest success will always be watching our kids. And your kids are phenomenal. I mean, I, I claim them as my own. I keep trying to Set, so James's second oldest is Lily. I keep trying to set her up with my youngest son or my middle son. <laughs> oh, I got to get her in the family somehow. <laughs> I love it. So, okay. Um, we've been friends a long time and, and I know you have a story that is, um, hard for you to share. Um, and I hope, hopefully you, you don't know that I'm asking you this, but hopefully you're willing to share this today. Um, and it was, it was an incident that you had your big, big hunter, um, and you were, it was the winter time. I don't know what you were hunting and you can tell us, but you, you had a life altering experience. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're willing to share that, it's going to be a hard edit for Lucy if you say no. So <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope you say yes on this one, but, but share, share that story. Um, just how it impacted you and, and kind of maybe a lesson that we can learn from it. Yeah. Um, this, this is a little bit of a hard one. Um, for those of you out there, I'm, it's a little bit emotional for me, and I'm a lot tougher than I'm going to sound in the next <laughs> 20 minutes. 
Um, so yeah, this, you know, it's like, it's like we were talking about, obviously the grit show, our goal is to help you learn, um, hopefully some techniques that you can start applying in your life and challenge you to get out of your comfort zone, get out there and, and explore and grow in, in all things grit. Right. And this was a, this was a true learning experience for me. Um, honest truth, my life had been pretty charmed. Um, been pretty blessed financially. I had an amazing family growing up. I didn't experience the trauma that a lot of families grow up with. Um, you know, the, some of these younger kids, you hear some of these stories that are just absolutely heartbreaking. And I didn't have that. I had my mom and dad were absolutely amazing. And, but I, I'd done hard things. I was a wrestler and I, you know, I rodeoed um, in high school and and grew up as a cowboy and the cowboy mentality is always, oh, get, you know, just get back on. And getting your degrees isn't easy yeah. and being an yep. entrepreneur at the same time and you had to pay your way through college yeah. and work for it. And I mean, you didn't come from money. No, did not come you, from you money. You came from a stable environment, but not right. money. And yeah. you, you had everything you have, you've, you've earned yeah, and I, you've worked for Yeah, it. my mom and dad, I absolutely love them to death, but they, uh, I definitely didn't have a trust fund. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, like, like James mentioned, I, I love the outdoors. I love hunting. I spend a lot of time in the outdoors and. Um, I got into guiding in Alaska. And so I was actually, and this is, I'll give kind of a little bit more in-depth story here. Um, we'll make Lucy edit out the parts that are boring. Um, there's a couple learning lessons in here I just kind of want to share as I go through this. So in Alaska, the guiding season up there is basically broken into two periods. You have the spring season, which is usually May and, and parts of early June. And then the, the late season for guiding uh, for the big game animals is starts in August and we'll go through the first part of October. Um, not a long window just because there's tons of snow up there. Um, early May, I'd gone up for a grizzly bear hunt. And so I had a, I had a client coming up. His name was Scott Brosovic. I'd never met him before. Um, he'd saved up. This was his dream of his lifetime to come up. Spring bear hunting is probably one of the easier hunts because we're actually able to do it on snowmobiles. Hmm. Um, in the, in the fall season, you're, you're really trying to glass them up and then hope that you can get close enough or hope that they walk by you in the, in the spring season on snowmobiles, we can cover literally hundreds and hundreds of miles. We'll find a track. We'll try to get ahead of them. But if you miss them, you can kind of, you know, circle around cause you're on snowmobiles. And so I'd gone up and I can remember landing in Anchorage, um, I'm, I'm pretty frugal, and so I would land in Anchorage. The flight, like I get there at midnight, and the flight the next morning would be at 6. And so I would just stay at the, hotel, at the airport instead of getting a hotel. And so I can remember landing in Anchorage, and I just had this, like, just gloomy, dark feeling. And I, I couldn't, I just couldn't shake it. Um, the next morning, I got on a little teeny turboprop plane and flew out to a little Indian village called Antioch. And in Antioch, I can remember landing in Antioch and just having this just nauseous, just terrible nauseous feeling. Um, literally went in the bathroom and just puked my guts out. And I, I could remember thinking, like, God, did I eat something? Yeah, this uh, food poisoning. This food poisoning. Like, what's wrong with me? And looking back now, I realize, like, I'm a very spiritual person. I realized that spiritually I was being warned and I just wasn't listening. I just wasn't listening to, and I think that happens to a lot of us in life. We're either not focusing on our spirituality, so we don't recognize it when we get those warnings, or we just choose to ignore them. I was just—I was just going to say—isn't um, intuition an interesting concept? Great, yep. And and how powerful it is, and that we don't—we don't typically listen or go off of that gut instinct. And dude, there's warnings all the time. Hundred percent. And both both positive and negative. And it's interesting to see how many people have just like disregarded that. And, yeah. and it's, it's, I'm sure it's interesting for a lot of people right now to look back on their lives and go, you know what? I, 
I knew. I knew that yep. was the wrong thing to do, or I knew that was the right thing to do, and I and didn't do I didn't either. Do I didn't do either yep. of those, and so it, intuition um, in life and in, in relationships and in parenting um, it is so important um, to to stay connected to a higher being and, and intuition, whatever it is, energy, um, and to to listen and respect those moments. I, I just think I just think it's a, something that's missing in today's society. It is for sure, and I, I think that's one. As you guys listen to the show, as we bring on these new guests, you'll see that spirituality and that intuition side, like you need to be growing and fostering that. You need to have that that aspect growing. So here I am. I'm getting these promptings. I'm getting these feelings, and I'm just choosing to ignore them. The outfitter that I was guiding for at the time, he lands. He's got a little teeny uh, plane, a 185, Cessna 185. He flies me out to the base camp, which is literally in the middle of nowhere. Real quick, do you, think, do you think we ignore those intuitions because of... Uh, social pressure or the fact that we might let, be letting somebody down? For sure. That's that's not probably for, one of my biggest our, weaknesses. It's not for our greatest good. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's like I get nervous and I'm like, oh, I don't want to say, you know, you don't want to admit you're weak. I don't want to be like, hey, I'm not feeling good about yeah, going yeah, out, yeah. so I'm just going to hang out. Yeah. Even though that's what my gut feeling was. And I think that happens a lot of times. We're, we don't want to disappoint somebody or we don't want to let our family down or or there's some some social impact that we feel like we're failing at. And so we do things that we know internally are not for our best good. Well, I guarantee you, anytime somebody has said, hold my beer, watch this. Oh, guarantee that. Guarantee they, they <laughs> yeah. had the impression, this is a bad idea. I probably shouldn't do this. Hold my beer, watch this, right? 100%. One of my favorite shows is Ridiculousness. And oh, I think my that gosh. show wouldn't exist if people listened to their intuition. For sure. <laughs> so anyways, we get out to uh, get out to the main camp. The hunter flies in. His name is Scott Brosovic, amazing guy. Um, kind of get to know him. He's never been on a snowmobile before. Okay. And so for those of you that haven't been out, uh, have never ridden a snowmobile, they're they're very uh, sensitive, if, if I guess you will. You, you've you got to kind of stay on the gas. You you throw your body weight around. You can't just sit on them. Like you're, you're on one side, you're on the other side, you're carving. When you sit on them or if you're just sitting in the middle or you're not using enough gas, they'll sit down into the snow and then you're just stuck. And so Scott gets there, and so the first day, the, the hunt hadn't started yet. We literally just spent kind of driving around camp, trying to get him used to the snowmobile, trying to teach him how to ride it, and he kept getting stuck, kept getting stuck, kept getting stuck, kept wrecking, kept getting it turned upside down. And, and so we're just, the snow was really kind of this soft, like powdery, powdery snow. And so it's a little bit more complicated to ride in. There wasn't a real solid base yet. And, and so we'd, we'd spent that day kind of riding around. The next morning I get up, and I just feel awful and the sky this is oh my gosh this is so long ago now 24 years ago we didn't have the radio communications we have now we didn't have satellite internet we didn't have any of that stuff and so we didn't have a weather channel we didn't know what was coming you had a flip phone we had a flip phone yeah for sure had a brick (laughs) and so i get up in the morning and the sky was just this flat gray and it's like just dead calm zero wind just this flat flat gray Hmm. sky and I had just this awful feeling, but I'm, I'm feeling that pressure. Like, I've got this guy that spent his life savings to come up and hunt a grizzly bear, have this Alaskan adventure. It's his dream. And so I'm, I'm feeling this pressure. I'm like, I, I got to go. I can't say, hey, we're just going to sit here and camp. So we get our stuff. We we drive about seven miles on the snowmobile, so not super far. Um, during that time, he wrecked twice, and so we kind of had to fight and get his snowmobile out of it. We go to a knob that's one of my little favorite knobs to glass from. We get up on this knob. We're glassing. 
What is what is what is glassing? Um, so we've got our binoculars and we're just looking long distance. Okay. So we're just okay. looking for tracks. We're looking for animals, and you're just in this winter wonderland. Like it is. There's no other people. Like if you see anybody, it's because they're in a jet at thirty thousand feet. Okay. Like there's, there is nobody out there. Uh, matter of fact, the closest Indian village was that little village Aniak that we flew into, and it was about 180 miles straight line. So it's it's a long, long ways away. And so we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, the wind starts to blow. And I just had this sinking feeling. I'm like, man, this is this is not good. And so I'm, I'm kind of debating. I'm like, oh, can I make the excuse that we're going to go back and have lunch early? And it's still pretty early in the morning. It's about 10 o'clock. It's not, it's not super late. And at this time of the year, like, there's a ton of light. The sun's not completely going down. Yeah. And so you could almost hunt the entire day. And so we we haven't been out that long. And I'm like, God, oh, we're just going to stay a couple of minutes, you know, a couple minutes longer. And then the wind's blowing harder. And then it's blowing harder. And all of a sudden, we're getting wind gusts up to 106, 107 miles per hour. Yikes. And what happened, that snow, because it was that soft kind of powdery snow, it created a ground blizzard where you could not see. Like, on my snowmobile, if I stood up, I couldn't see past the windshield. Like, I couldn't see the hood of the snowmobile. I couldn't see the skis. And so, was, was there an early enough uh, warning signal, not your intuition, but an early enough warning signal weather-wise that there was a turnaround point? Well, n- knowing what I know now, there was. So what had happened is we're coming off of the Bering Sea. There basically was a hurricane coming off the Bering Sea, just a huge winter storm. And so it came off the Bering Sea, had all that, that high-pressure ridge that hit that, that cold water and created this, this crazy hurricane effect. And as it came in ground, it was just picking up snow, and it was like something you'd see out of a crazy movie where they had those like sandstorms. Like You could just see it coming. I just didn't realize it at the time. So now, knowing what I know now about weather patterns and, and tornadoes and hurricanes, like that flat gray light, that's a precursor. Like, hey, bad weather's coming. Okay, so last episode, uh, we, we touched on the concept of an ethos. And having those, we'll call it hard rules in life. Because when 100%. we get into a moment, and it's, it's the reason why those small planes often crash a lot of times is because yep. they, they know the, the weather, the signals and everything. They choose to ignore it, and then those, those planes get rocked by, by weather. And so in life, it's important to have, one, the ethos, but two, hard rules in your life. Uh, stop 100%. losses, especially when other people's lives, our lives are online. Uh, are, you know, are at risk, and so I think, I think as as a kind of a learning moment, um, you know, looking back, you you weren't prepared enough to, oh, and no. had the education enough to understand that circumstance, because if you did, you would have said, okay, these are my non-negotiable yep. uh, terms in life, and in this moment, that that's a sign, that's a sign, that's a sign. It doesn't matter about your feelings; it's for everybody's safety, and we're going to turn back. Hundred percent. And so that—that's, I think, something really important to note about preparing, going into something, so that when you're in that moment, you can make the and, right decision. And and that's something now, like my ethos. And at some point, maybe we can go through them and we can read them individually. But part of my ethos says, I am a protector. I stand up for those that are disadvantaged or taken advantage of, and I never risk the life of another. And at the time, I didn't have that ethos. There's, uh, there's a guy that I follow. His name's slipping my head right now, but he was one of the first guys to climb all of the 8,000-meter um, peaks without oxygen. And he had this just written rule that if he wasn't within a certain distance of the top, by 2 o'clock, he quit. He always came back because he didn't want to risk his life. He didn't want to risk the life of his Sherpas. 
And I just didn't have that, like you said. And so here I am, like I truly was responsible for Scott's life, but I, I was nervous about the, you know, looking weak or looking immature or, or, or scared. And so I put us in a situation that literally risked both of our lives, which like you said, is a hard lesson. It's hard to admit that, but it's something that like I'm teaching my kids, like, look, you, I, you need to write down what your code is. You need to write down what your ethos is. And that's part of mine because I still do that. I'm still in the outdoors a ton. And I, I will never put someone in a position where I risk their life ever again. Um, fortunately, it turned out okay for Scott in this situation, but it could have been bad. So the wind starts blowing. We've got this ground blizzard coming in. Um, they had sustained winds. Um, we got the, the storm data. It was sustained winds of 80 miles per hour gusting up to 110 is what it got up to. Um, I can't remember exactly what that is. I think it's like a Category 3 hurricane, essentially. So it's bad. It's not good. And the, the worst part is now we've lost our visibility. I have a little GPS unit that I could tell where the where the lodge was, but it's just straight line. Hmm. And in between us and the lodge, there were two big valleys that we had to go through. And the one valley, most of Alaska, you're really hunting in a rainforest. And so it's it's pretty smooth. Not smooth, but it's... It's vegetated, so there's tundra. So when you get snow on it, it is pretty smooth. But the one valley we had to go through, there's that particular valley has a couple big gravel drainages in it where you, you have some big cliff faces. I mean, there's a couple of them that are 60, 70, 80 feet tall. Hmm. And so I knew, so now I'm nervous. I've got Scott behind me. We're, we're trying to get back to the lodge. You're on, you're on separate mobiles? Separate snowmobiles. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at my GPS and I'm trying to make sure that I hit the right draw to go through. Because once I got through that draw, then it's pretty easy sailing. Like it's just go straight until you run into the lodge. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking and I'm trying to find it. And, and all of a sudden, I just get this like free falling sensation, like the top of a roller coaster. And, I'm, and I can see perfectly clear. And I realized I had driven off one of those little cliffs. So the ground, I'm, I'm literally falling into a hole. And the snow is blowing over top of us. And I can remember just thinking, i got to get away from the snowmobile. Like, if this lands on me, it's going to kill me. Did, did he fall right behind you? Well, so this is the amazing, a couple amazing things happened. I pushed myself away from the snowmobile. Um, as, I, as you're falling. As I'm falling. Jeez. I tried to get it away from me. I flipped, basically did a 360 in the air, or I guess a 180. So I landed on my back. My left leg landed on an ice shelf. And then the snowmobile landed upside down, and there's a metal bar on the back of the seat. And that bar landed right on my tibia and fibia, and it snapped them completely in half. So my, my leg was literally a 90-degree angle. I could see the bottom of my foot. I see the bottom of my own foot. Jeez. And now, fortunately, this, this was one of the first miracles in this situation. Um, I'm instantly in the worst pain. Like, if you've ever hit your shin, yeah. like, it's the worst pain I've ever felt. But in the back of my mind, I knew that Scott was behind me. And I'm like, he's going to drive off and land on me. Land on top of you. Like, I'm going to die. Crush you. And so I'm screaming, and I'm, and I'm trying to pull away from the snowmobile, and I'm just stuck. Now, Scott, fortunately, he was right behind me. And so when he told the story, my tail light disappeared, and he just stopped. He just let off the gas and just stopped. And so he had followed his gut intuition that, hey, something's wrong. He just stops. He got off his snowmobile, crawled forward, and he could see me down in this hole. So how 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 uh, how uh, deep was the fall? Fifty feet. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, they in in rock climbing. That's that's the kill zone. Like if you fall fifty feet. Now for me, 
I landed on snow, so it broke the impact. And if the snowmobile hadn't landed on me, I'd have been okay. Knocked the air out of me, but other than that, I would have been fine. He crawls down, gets down to me. I'm in excruciating pain, and and I'm like literally sobbing. And I'm like, dude, you gotta help me. So he got grabbed a snowshoe off of his snow off of the back of my snowmobile, chipped the ice around where my leg was kind of trapped, and got my leg out and just drugged me out. So I was now laying on the ground beside the snowmobile. Snowmobile's upside down, and I'm laying right beside it. Now, I mean, usually I'm the guy that's saving someone. Sure. Like I'm EMS certified. Um, I've, I've been in a couple situations where, you know, I've done CPR, and I'm, I'm usually the guy that's the first guy that, like, I jump in, and I solve the problem, and I help. And now all of a sudden, helpless. Like, I'm, I'm helpless. Like, I'm completely helpless. And so I, I grabbed my GPS. I'd had it on, hanging around my neck. I marked where I was at, and I, and I knew now where we were. And because we were down in the hole, we could see where Scott needed to go to get past the drainage. It was, it was only about 80 yards to the right, and then he was clear sailing. So I marked where I was at, and I gave him the GPS, and I told him, I said, you got to go back to camp. Um, there's a, Send somebody. There's a guy at camp that was a firefighter from Anchorage. And I'm like, you've got to go back and get him and get him out here. He's Not only is he a firefighter, but he's born and raised in Alaska, and he used to race snowmobiles. So the guy is beyond competent. Like He's, he's the guy you want if you're in trouble. And his name is Brian. And so I said, look, you go get Brian and, and get him out here. And so I mark my GPS, I give it to give it to Scott. He jumps on his snowmobile and I, you know, as soon as he was up the ridge, I couldn't even see him or hear him. The wind was just horrendous. And so he gets on the snowmobile and, and takes off. Well, now I'm laying there by myself. Um, so I'm laying there on the snow. I start doing the math and I'm on the math. I'm thinking, okay, it's going to take him. It's seven miles. Um, he's going 10 miles an hour. He's going to be there in about an hour. Um, he'll get Brian. Brian's ridiculous. Brian will be back here in, in seven minutes. <laughs> and so I'm looking at my watch. And I'm like, okay, we got an hour, 10, hour 30, and we're going to be good. And any movement, the bones, and, and I'll, we'll see. Eventually, maybe we can get a, a website up, and I'll, I'll post the, video, the videos of them. But the bones had broke perfectly in half where that bar hit them. Um, my, my calves, fortunately, are not that big. And so the bones had <laughs> offset and the calf was pulling them past each other, Ugh. but but fortunately, like I said, I don't I don't, don't have gigantic legs like our, our friend Joe Semenov, and so that they weren't pulling too far past, but it was grinding on themselves. Yeah, I, I can only imagine at this point we've we've exposed nerve endings. Oh my gosh! And I mean, that, I, I've had some some toe issues and things like that where nerve endings get exposed, and I I can't even comprehend snapping my leg like that and having those those pull well and, and just filling the bones just great on themselves and so i would i was trying to not move at all and i'm looking at my watch um hour goes by hour and a half goes by two hours go by and i'm suddenly i'm like holy crap like this is bad like this is this is not good like i'm i'm not gonna make it out of this and so um this is kind of the hard part for me i uh I had just got married to a girl that I absolutely adored. And, um, I always carried a camera with me. And uh, we'd only been married. We got married that October, and this was the following May. And so I took my camera out, and uh, I just I just knew it was over. And so I, I videotaped my will, and I just told, told my, it's my ex-wife now, but I just told her that I loved her and 
you know, that I was sorry and left a little message for my family. And, uh, and then, uh, I recorded just a little, um, little note for whoever saw me, whoever found me. And then I, uh, I always carried a pen with me. And so then I wrote on my jacket, I wrote my name and my phone number and I wrote my mom's phone number on my jacket. So whoever found my body <clears throat> would be able to hopefully get a hold of someone to come recover my remains. And, uh, anyways, I, I laid down the, the body's funny. It's pretty amazing. Absolutely phenomenal. I was going into hypothermia and I, I was shaking pretty severely and every, like I was trying to control it so hard because any motion would literally just make me cry. And all of a sudden I felt warm. And so the stages of hypothermia, what happens when you get to that point, your body realizes you're freezing to death. And so it flushes all of your blood out to your extremities to stop from getting frostbite. And so all of a sudden I'm like warm, like it's, my body's been keeping all my, my core warm and now it's flushing out that blood in my fingers and in my toes. And, and so now I'm, I'm warm and I'm like unzipping my jacket and I can remember thinking, you know, this is it. Like this is like all I have to do is close my eyes and say a prayer and I'm done. And so I, uh, I folded my arms and I said a little prayer and, uh, and I just closed my eyes and, uh, all of a sudden, this book that I read in high school called Lord Grizzly popped into my mind. Um, it's the story, it's the journal of Hugh Glass. It's been popularized by Leonardo DiCaprio in the movie The Revenant. Long before that was a book called Lord Grizzly. And it's the story of Hugh Glass getting attacked by a grizzly bear. And I was laying there and I just thought, you coward. I'm like, I'm not dying like this. I'm like, when they find my body... They're going to know that I did everything I could to save myself. Like, I'm not going to die. Like, I'm not, I'm not just going to lay here and quit. Like, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to survive. And so I was looking at the snowmobile. It's upside down. And I got this idea in my mind. I'm like, you know what? If I dug a big enough trench right beside the snowmobile where I'm kind of laying, I could, I, I could rock it into that trench and get it right side up. Sorry. Mind you, your leg is snapped in two. Snapped in two, yeah. Yeah, okay. And so any, like any motion is just killing me. And so I, I wiggle myself over so I get away from the snowmobile a little bit, and I literally just start digging. I just start digging. Well, at this point, a little over four and a half hours had passed. And what had happened, just backstory, Scott was not a good snowmobile rider. He had got about a mile away, um, and the snowmobile got stuck. He spent about an hour getting it out made it about four more miles and got stuck again. And this time when it got stuck, he couldn't get it out. So now he's got about two miles left to go and he decides just to go to, by foot. By foot. Yep. And so if you've ever been in heavy snow, especially deep snow like that, we call it post holing where he's taking a step, but it's going all the way into his crotch and he's taking another step and it's going into his crotch. And so he has to go two miles in probably one of the most laborious conditions that you could ever walk through. Like it's, just it's, absolutely it's, sapping. It's the definition of slow going. Oh, just sapping energy. So that's what had taken so long for him to get to Brian. Now, in the meantime, now I'm, I'm moving and my body's starting to warm back up. Like there was, in hindsight, looking at it, I'm actually a little bit embarrassed that that thought had ever crossed my mind that I'm like, okay, I'm just ready to die. 
Well, I don't know. You're, you you weren't moving because you were in so much pain, oh, and that, that caused the, the hypothermia. And so you were, well, and, and two, in the moment, you had the knowledge that someone was, yeah, yeah. Com- someone was coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so I'm not going to get hypothermia in 90 minutes based on yeah. the conditions. I'll be okay. And so you'd made that decision based on events that were supposed to be happening. Yep. Not knowing yep. those events weren't taking place. Yes, they weren't happening. And I, and I but just but got wait, the this is a great this is a great thing because you made a decision based off of things that were happening, and when they didn't happen, you didn't just lay down. You said, "Okay, that's not happening. I need to pivot." Yeah, I've got my expectations. Do I got to take control of the situation. I got to be responsible for what happens next because I can no longer re- rely on Plan A. You know, it's it's, it's, well, it's one of those things where I think. Like, I love having my kids around you, and I love having my kids see us do hard things because something hard's going to happen in their life, for sure. And for me, it was reading that book and remembering that Hugh Glass gets attacked by a grizzly bear, gets literally half of his buttocks ripped off, dislocated hip, broken leg, and the guy crawls 220 miles over four months, lives off of grasshoppers and mice. And I'm like, I've only got to go seven miles. Like, I've only got to crawl seven miles. I'm like, if I can get my snowmobile right side up, like, I've only got to go seven miles. Like, I, I can make that. And so I start trying to dig this hole. Just so you know, that's an exceptional mind, yeah. mindset at this at this this point in the juncture, right? And again, it's perce- perception and based on other people's experiences that you've read, but now you have to take an action. And you, you were relying on that guy's grit and toughness and experience, but that... That doesn't do anything for you unless in that moment you make a decision to say, okay, I'm going to take an action based on the motivation that I have drawn from this individual. And and I think that was, this whole learning experience was amazing for me because I've I've come back to that many times during my life now where something hard's happened and I've been like, yeah, but it wasn't as hard as that. It's not as hard as that. Yeah. It's not as hard as that one. Like I'm not laying in the snow with a broken leg. Like I'm going to make it through this. Well, and it was fascinating during the the, the pandemic and, and I'm not. I'm not criticizing anybody for how they handled it or and everybody's experience was extremely unique to them. But what was fascinating from a, a human psychology standpoint is to watch and observe the way individuals experienced it. And you could tell from the outside looking in how they navigated that journey and the and the things that happened to them, who had done something hard in their lives and who hadn't. And who's it? It was their first experience with real adversity and struggle. And you could draw a line in the sand and go, these people over here have done and had an experience in their life that now they're drawing upon those experiences and they navigated this very difficult time in our history different than this group that had been intentionally seeking comfort and never doing anything hard in their lives. And so that I just love that y- what you just said, you... You do things in your life with intent that are difficult because when a real situation happens, 100%. you go, I have the knowledge and experience. I'm going to be okay. I've, d- I've done this. Yeah, yeah. This is 100%. going to be manageable for me t- in this moment. So, You know, it, it's interesting. Total side tangent, but a story my grandpa shared with me was my grandpa worked for, he worked for a guy, a rodeo stock contractor. And so he was a young kid and they had a little Mexican fighting bull. And he said it was just the meanest bull ever. Well, it wouldn't get on the... Back then, they were shipping all the stock by trains. And he, they couldn't get this bull on by themselves. He was always trying to fight with them. And so what they did is they got a, one of the big Brahma bucking bulls, and they put him behind this little Mexican bull, and they forced him into the train. And then they forced all the other bulls in. Well, when they got to wherever they were going, they got there, they unloaded the bulls, the little Mexican bull was dead. 
<laughs> and the stock contractor. That's not where I saw this going. <laughs> the stock contractor was so mad at my grandpa, and he yelled at him. And he's like, "Why? Why did you do that?" And he explained to him, and this is this is something that I I have realized we see in humans as well. If you put an animal, cows, horses, sheep, if you put them in a position that they do not think they can get out of, they die. Hmm. They just quit. They're if they're in a position. I mean, something happened on my little ranch. I had a sheep that it got. It was middle of the winter and it got stuck upside down and it just died. Like there was no. There was no reason it should have died. It was only there for about 40 minutes. Like He should have been totally fine. But because he was in a position, he thought, I can't get out of this, he quit and he died. I love this because... And this... we see that in the pandemic. That same thing happened. People are just giving up. Because what did people lose? They, they didn't really lose anything. Yes, they did. They lost hope. They lost hope. You're right. They lost that's what they hope. Lost. And, that's, right. and that is, to me, hope is life. And we'll get back to the story in a second, but my favorite book of all time is Man's Search for Meaning. Yes, And me Viktor Frankl was a prisoner in the uh, war, war camps, worst conditions, and just had an optimistic, positive attitude. And he goes, I knew the moment somebody was going to die uh, because they lost hope. And he said, I knew when they lost hope because they died. died. Yep. And so what that bull, the bull did in the story you were just sharing was he believed no he hope. didn't have hope yep. and it killed him. It killed him. And that is, that's the beauty in life. And I think a lot of this and the learnings that we're talking about today in your story really has to do with hope. 100%. And how hope is our lifeline. And I, and, and I believe that excuses are death. For sure. And so if 100%. life is hope and excuses are death, this is the perfect formula. If you can give someone hope and remove excuses, you, you create an opportunity for them. And I Absolutely. Believe, and I believe when you were laying there and realized, okay, I... I don't. This isn't happening, and yeah, no I one's coming to, to save me. Yeah, like, I gotta so get you out. had to you had to draw hope from somewhere yep. else, and you drew it from um, the the story of, yeah, of Hugh uh, Glass uh, yeah. of Hugh Glass that gave you enough hope yep. that it drove you to action, and you you took excuses off the table, and then what happened next? Yeah, hundred percent. So at that point, I'm, I'm warming myself up. So now I'm I'm really not in a deadly situation because I I could move. I had water. I had some food there. You're just managing pain. I'm just managing pain. Just manage the pain. I'm just managing the pain, and I'm just taking the next step. And so I start digging um, about four hours and 37 minutes in, not to be exact. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Brian shows up. Oh. And so he gets there. And when he got there. Well, you'd already recorded your buy video. Yeah. That was yep. before you. Before, yeah. Before you started digging. So it's right all out. recorded. And so Brian gets there, um, grabs me. He, he uh, set my leg. I've passed out twice in my life. That was one of them. He literally put his foot on my crotch and then grabbed my foot, or put his, his foot on my crotch, then grabbed my own foot and pulled it out and just kind of lined it up with my knee. And was like, yeah, that looks good. And then took two, uh, two snowshoes, put them on each side, put bungee cords around them to just kind of hold my leg in place. Drags me up, puts me in. He's got his snowmobile, and then he had a wood sled. We had a sled that we would chop wood trees down and uh, burn wood, keep the cabins warm. Put me on the wood sled and wrapped me in a in a sleeping bag and then he takes off well the temperature had also risen so not only were we getting high high winds but now the temperature has gone up the temperature was like 42 degrees so now the snow was melting mm. so it was super soft so we had gone maybe a quarter of a mile and we get stuck he gets out i have to get off the sled um and like i said every motion just killed me he gets this the bike the snowmobile unstuck gets the sled off gets the sled back on puts me back on the sled and we repeated this process for Oh my goodness! Probably two hours. Well, I think I think you know the the mind starts to play tricks on you too. Oh, because for sure. you're you're in so much pain. You're like, and and I'm I'm just guessing, but like I would be thinking, holy crap! 
this is irreparable damage that we're doing. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to be able to walk. I've oh, lost yeah. my leg. Yep. Because, you know, it's, it's always interesting the way we feel something and the way that it actually is. And I'm assuming it felt. Oh, it felt lot, bad. Not that it wasn't bad, but it felt oh. way worse than it could have been. Yeah. And then your mind starts to play tricks on you and where you put your focus and attention would magnify. 100%. And so you, I can only imagine you're going through a scenario in life where you're like, what is life going to be like with one? <laughs> with one leg. Like, like at one point, at one one breath, you're like, I'm so grateful to be alive. And the other breath is like, I have one leg. Well, what the, am I going to do? I mean, the thing that had gone through my mind that was hard for me is I had been, I've been an athlete my entire life. And now I'm like, I can't even walk. Yeah. And I'm thinking I'm not going to be able to. So finally I turned to Brian and uh, this, it was actually interesting to me. And I love Brian and I, I credit him with saving my life, him and Scott both. But he, I, I told him, I'm like, hey, Brian, this isn't working. And what I meant specifically was, let's just take the sled off and I'll just get behind you on the snowmobile and let's just go. Yeah. Like, I'm tired of being I'm, ar- I'm already in pain. Let's, let's, let's fast track. He said something that I just I absolutely loved. He grabs me by the collar and he's shaking me and he's like, he's like, you don't ever give up. When you give up, that's when we effing die. We're not effing dying out here. <laughs> he's like, I'm going home to my wife. He goes, I'm going home to make love to my wife. He goes, I'm not effing dying out here. And, and I, it made me kind of laugh. And I'm like, no, that's not what I meant. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me unhook the sled. So he unhooks the sled. I get behind him on the snowmobile. And I just, I got the sleeping bag wrapped around me. And I'm holding on to him. So I'm kind of wrapping it around him. And, and we just take off. So we go down across the first valley, go across the second valley. So we, the, the second valley, we go up the far side. And when we get to the top, he stops the snowmobile. And the wind is just screaming. And I've got my head buried into him. And he's yelling at me. And you'd literally have to put your mouth on the person's ear to hear them and so he turns to me and he's like hey this is gonna hurt and so i look up and the the snow on the top of that plateau had been completely blown off so it had left these gigantic it was just this huge tundra plateau and it was probably a quarter of a mile long maybe five six hundred yards and the tundra in Alaska is not smooth. It's We call them tundra tussocks, but they'll stick up a foot and a half to two foot, and then you'll have a, a dip, and then another foot and a half to two foot, and they're separated by about a foot. So think about the worst bumpy road you've ever been on. Yeah. And so he, I said, all right. He's like, hold on. And so I grabbed a hold of him, and he takes off, and the wind is just horrendous. And as we're going across this plateau, I can hear, like, it sounded like I could hear an old lady screaming. And I can remember thinking, what in the heck? And then I realized it's, it's me. me. It's me. I'm, I'm the old <laughs> like, lady screaming. Like I was just yeah. in the worst pain. Like every bump yeah. was jarring that leg. And I'm just literally screaming my head off. And he gets to the far side and he stops. And I was like, man, you got you got to stop for two seconds. Like, let me just catch my breath. Like, I have got to catch my breath. Because the pain at that point was just off the charts. I just want to interject real quick. Um, this is a really important thing that I want everybody listening to understand and and latch on to um it's okay in life to to pause and to take a deep breath and to feel uh what's going on how to navigate it and a lot of times we just like are so in a hurry to get through it that we fast track it and we don't allow ourselves to feel and process and i love that you said i just need a minute to to reset and that's what we've done in all of our journeys is like at no point in time did we have the miscommunication like you did where you had yeah. to shake someone and say, look, I, yeah. I'm going to make love to my wife tonight. Yeah. But but every single time there was moments where one of the four of us, meaning me, Sonny, Casey, and Aaron, we said, okay, we're not quitting. I don't need a pep talk. I just need I, I just need five minutes to take a breath, to feel, to cry, to, yeah. to, 
tantrum, whatever it is, and then we'll get back on task. 100%. And that's what you needed in that moment. It's just like, look, I just need yep. to. So the, the, the real underlining thing here is like be okay in moments of chaos to just say, I need a moment to feel and to process, to take a deep breath, and then I'm going to get back on task. I don't need to be talked off the ledge. I'm not quitting. I just need a moment. Yeah, 100%. And that's, I mean, and that's, that thing of the day, that's life. You know, it's okay to take a break. You just don't quit. Yeah. Like just take a break, yeah. catch your breath, get your composure. And, 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 and really that kind of, I know we're getting short on time, and so we'll kind of wrap no, this no, up. But... No, this is important. We'll, 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 keep, we'll keep going. <laughs> but this one, at that point, we were close enough to the cabin that it was it was pretty smooth from there. We were only about a mile away. It was pretty smooth. We get to the cabin, and uh, they get me inside. And there's a cabin we built middle of nowhere. They get me inside, and there's we have no pain pills. We have Tylenol. That's all we had. And the worst part was Scott's gone. So Scott had tried to follow Brian out on the snowmobile. I didn't know that, and he got lost in the blizzard. So now so he's back there. He's out there in the blizzard again. Oh man, twice. Um, and so. I mean, this is something else I just want to point out. Wait, why, why did he go back out? He wanted to help. He okay. thought he was going to help. He sure. thought he was going to sure, sure. to be there. And and, and I so kind of wrapped up the, the sad part on Scott. Like, I, I unfortunately never got to spend the time with him. I wish I could have. Once I got out of the situation, I went to the hospital. Got And I'll talk about that real quick. But then came home. He went home. And that August, um, he was elk hunting and he had a heart attack and died. Oh, wow. And so I never truly got to express my gratitude to him or his family. And if there's family members that hear this, Scott Brosovic, like I, he honestly saved my life. Like it's, I think that's one of the greatest honors you could ever have is saving another human being. And, and I credit Scott for that. And so we, you know, I can't do anything, but those guys are up all night screaming and yelling. And he, he finally walks back again. So he makes that walk twice, post hauling through the snow and makes it back. So then I literally laid there for three days. The wind was so bad we couldn't fly. Three days later, Wait, you we had... you laid with a, a, a snapped <laughs> yeah. leg, no pain, uh, pills, nothing yep. for three, three days. days. Yeah, and I can only brutal. I can only imagine that felt like three months or three well, years. Th- this was what's interesting is the human body. So I didn't want to move, and so I I was refusing to eat. I was drinking because I could kind of roll over and pee in a bottle, but. I just, the thought of them picking me up and taking me to the outhouse in oh, a blizzard, yeah. I'm like, I'm not eating anything. And so in that three days, I ended up losing, by the time I got to Anchorage in three days, and I'm, I'm stressed, obviously, your body, being in pain, all of that's compounding. I lost 17 pounds oh. in those three days. So by the time I got to Anchorage, so they finally, they finally, the weather broke, they were able to get me on the plane, flew me into Antioch. And this was funny now, I can, it's so funny to think how much times have changed because when this happened at the time, back then, there, especially those bush villages, there were no regulations. There was no TSA. Yeah. So I can remember them carrying me up and laying me on the floor of the of the plane. So I was just laying on the floor. I'm not strapped in. I'm not, there's no seatbelt. Um, and then there's guys sitting on either side of me with all their hunting rifles and they got all their gear. And I can just remember thinking how funny it was that... Here I am laying on the floor, no street seat belts, and these guys are sitting next to me with loaded rifles, yeah, yeah. and we're flying into an international airport. <laughs> and so we get to Anchorage. Um, the outfitter's wife picked me up. She came, picked me up, took me to the hospital. And it was, it was one of those kind of surreal experiences at that point. And this is kind of the, I'll wrap it up with the, the second time I ever passed out because, so the first time was when Brian set my leg. 
when I got to Anchorage, Anchorage at that time was still doing the old school lath and plaster casts where they would heat up the plaster oh, yeah. and then put it around your leg. And and I've broken enough bones, you know, rodeoing, wrestling, and motorbikes and stuff that it's always the joint above and the joint below. Well, this guy that sets my leg, he just does my knee to my toes. And I remember asking him, being like, man, that's, you've got to do up above my knee, I'm sure. And he's like, no, 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 this is good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then the doctor comes in. The doctor yells at him. He's like, dude, you idiot. You've got to do a joint above, a joint below. So you've got to be. So he he puts another cast on top of it. So now I've got one pastor cast from my knee to my sh- to my toes. And then I've got a, one from my thigh over top of that cast uh, to my foot. toes. Yeah. And when I get back to Utah and the Utah doctors, they looked at they x-rayed it and they said, look, you're my, so my left foot actually turns in three degrees. I, I hope you tell me they broke it again. No. Okay. So he told me, he said, look, unless you're doing endurance sports, you're never going to notice this. Now, I should have told him because of what I ended up doing with you. I should have told him, yeah, reset this thing the right way. Yeah. But we left it. So what happens now is that about mile 21, that leg hurts so freaking bad. And it, it kind of throws my knee and my hip off. Mm. But then by mile 24, it goes numb and it doesn't matter anymore. So we get to Utah. And the, my doctor x-rays it, and he's like, look, I hate these plaster casts. So he puts a fiberglass cast on top of it. Oh, <laughs> so I've got this cast that is like this 90-pound cast. And so my leg was so immobile. And this was the second time I passed out. When they finally took the cast off, um, my leg had atrophied to the point. I was in the doctor's office. They cut the cast off, and they pull it up. And my quad had completely disappeared. Like, you could see the thigh bone. And then there's this, like, softball-sized knee joint. And then you could see the shin bone. And then there's just this black and blue hematoma. And I remember looking over at my ex-wife and just going, get a pillow, get a pillow, get a pillow. And I just passed out oh, wow. <laughs> right on the right on the table. But the, the culmination of all of this, and you pointed out some of the big ones, I just realized... And, and it's one reason why we keep talking about it. Grit truly is developed by going through experiences. And I'm not telling anybody to go out and break their leg. But by going through hard things, it gave me an experience that I could always look back on. And I could say, okay, I made it through that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make it through this. Yeah. And it gave me a ton of those little pivotal moments like you talked about. Just knowing, look, I don't have to solve the problem right now. I just have to dig this little teeny trench. I'm going to dig this little teeny trench. And I'm going to roll a snowmobile over it. And then I'm going to take the next step. And then... Being able to be like, okay, look, we're, we're making the journey. We're making progress. I just need to stop for two seconds. Yeah. Like I'm in enough pain. I just need to stop. And that truly was a foundation of some mental fortitude um, that got me through some other hard things. And I've done, I mean, James knows me well. I've done some stupid stuff. I did an Ironman off of the couch um, and ended up in the hospital off of that. And I literally forced myself through that experience mentally just because physically I was done. Like I was done, done, done. I'd been through that experience, breaking my leg and almost dying, and I knew I'm like, look, I can, I can take another step. Yeah. And I, and I think at the end of the day, that's that's the secret to life, and that's why we're here. We're hopefully, the stories that we're sharing, the stories that, that the people we bring on will hopefully inspire you that you'll remember these things and realize that it really, truly is, as James always says, just taking the next step. Yeah. Well, man, Tyrell, I know that was um, hard for you to share. Um, but I think it was it was really valuable for, for people to understand who you are and some of the things that, that you've gone through. Um, so, again, thank you for, for having the willingness to share this. We're going to wrap it up. Um, today was my favorite episode today, <laughs> to date. <laughs> Best one so far. Best one so far. Uh, easy to say when you're three episodes in. Uh, many more amazing things to come. Um, th- my name is James Lawrence. This is Tyrell Gray. 
Uh, we are the Grit Show. All things grit. Have a great day.